0: at Deuteronomy, about chapter 29, we're going to get there eventually. About a year and a half ago, I, um, I began looking and seeing the life of our church, and um, we spent considerable time last year examining this and taking a look at maybe some options that were in front of us. Sometimes God opened a door and said, that's a good thing to do. And sometimes God closed a door and said, no, that's not a good thing to do. And uh, in that process, and you've seen it as well as I have over this 18 months, I mean, houses, homes going up all around us. And uh, I was looking at this and saying to myself, wow, here is an incredible opportunity. Here, DeFore. Uh, in the life of our church I believe that God was saying that we were to stay the course but at that point God said it's time to launch out time to go out and to really reach our community at the same time as hard as it may be for some of you to believe and you've voiced that to me I did not believe that I was the person to be leading that charge I'm gifted in certain areas I'm not gifted in other areas the same as you and, uh, um, you know, Casey, I think a little bit more volume for me would help me, if not for them, because I'm just kind of talking today, and I want to make sure you hear me. <laughs> okay, that's a little better. Thank you very much for that. And so as we prayed about that and tried to figure out exactly what direction the Lord was leading, and uh, another opportunity came to me um, through my good friend, uh, Mr. Bucher, Bob Buecher, Uh, I didn't go looking for that. Bob didn't come looking for it. We were just brothers talking about what was happening in the life of God's church here, and something came up. And so uh, I began to, well, I say I began. It seemed like, wow, this may be an opportunity for us to discern the will of the Lord in this kind of a transition. And so I came back, and I told the elders, and we prayed about it, and we thought about it, and we looked into it, and we, more and more we did. We came to you, and we said, we think that there's an opportunity here for God to bring in um, a, a, a man who has a heart and a giftedness for reaching this community. And so we began praying and asking God to do that. And you know we came to you last March, actually. Uh, Many of you said, well, how long is this going to take? What's happening with Pastor Buzz? We said, Pastor Buzz is going to stay right here as we work through this process. We did say at that time we were targeting probably about a six-month period. Well, believe it or not, zip, and here we are. Uh, We are on the eve of that that six-month. And um, we have been knocking on God's door. And we had knocked on this door and moved in that direction, and God said, no, I don't think so, and again here, and again here, and again here, several times, and, and I actually hope that you will receive that as great confidence that your elders are pursuing God's will, looking for God's man, and um, yes, we've gone down the road a certain distance with four or five guys now, um, but God each time has just said, not the right one, until now, and we really believe that God is pointing us in a direction we don't know for sure, and may I take this moment, and this is a long kind of uh, infomercial, if you will, this is not really an introduction to the sermon, we'll get to that, but um, the elders felt like it was time for you to be brought up to speed, and so that's what I'm doing now, and I'm taking an extended time to do that. I'm relaxed, you're relaxed, and uh, we'll take as much time as the Lord tells us to in that. But we are really on a track right now. We're really, we found a person theologically uh, committed to where we are. His communication skills are excellent, his experience and desire to reach people for Christ are, are exemplary both in the United States and outside the United States with experience. There, he's experienced in leading a congregation of people, and so we're very excited about that. Are we completed? Are we settled? No. And what I started to say before that little parenthetical thought was, it's never complete until you say it's complete. That's the kind of church that we are. We seek the unity of the body. So it's very important, very important responsibility that you have. You don't have a group of elders who come and say, all right, here's the guy, you pick him, you know, boom. That's not, that's not the way it works. We look for the unity of the Spirit. So um, this man and his wife are going to come for a pre- preliminary uh, visit to Boynton Beach and to take a look. Well, Pastor, why do you call that preliminary well, the reason I'm calling it that is because you and I both know we live in somewhat of a unique spot, at least when you start thinking about, oh, places like Birmingham, Alabama, or Des Moines, Iowa, or something like that. We're, we're pretty distinct here in South Florida. Now, granted, it's a large piece of property here in South Florida, so we're not unique in the sense of people down the road from us, but we are, if somebody's moving, say, from Tennessee. And so, uh, they're coming for a preliminary visit to take a look at Boynton Beach. This is not a, in, in view of a call, this is not a time where we're asking questions and interviewing and that kind of thing. It's more of a come, meet, see the situation, um, look around the town, see what it costs to live, these kinds of things. Get a feel for um, the church and for the community then uh, all goes well. We will invite them back again to come in what Baptist life may <laughs> have. Not many of you, some of you are Baptist and some of you aren't, and some of you are new to the faith. In old school language, a person comes and preaches in view of a call. That's the way we phrase it in view of a call. And that means that they would come back and they would meet all of you and yes we'd have a fellowship time together we would have that question and answer time where you get to ask specific questions about doctrine or methodology these kinds of things you'll have time to rub shoulders he'll he'll stand at this uh pulpit and he will preach and you'll meet the family and you'll do all these kinds of things and and again uh, have time for your questions and your answers and and that would take place So uh, I wanted to bring you up to speed on that. Well, what about Pastor Buzz? Well, Pastor Buzz is obviously here today. Not here next week, but that's a a higher priority. No, it's not a higher priority. (laughs) I just just, jest. You know, sometimes I just out of place. Preaching of the Word is certainly the higher priority. But I love seeing the little people, and so that's where we'll be next week. And uh, God has granted us great gifts, and Jose and other preachers, so Jose will be preaching for us next week, and then I'll be back and preach, and we'll continue this process. You say, well, what does the timeline look like? Well, we don't know. Uh, we do know that he's coming for a visit the first week in September, uh, then hopefully return as soon as possible. Still working out the calendar, I think, for that, but it'll probably be the next month, so uh, in, in October as early as possible there. I think Keith maybe the, the, the second weekend or the first week. I don't second weekend maybe, come back and, and see us again. So I'll be continuing to preach there. But one important thing for you to note is, is that I will not continue as full-time pastoral minister. So you have Pastor Keith and Pastor Jose, but um, I will not be here during the week. I will be here to preach, and I'll be here through the pastor search process, and I will continue to be an elder and continue to um, help in any way that I can during this process. You say, well, pastor, and this is me, this is not you. So when I say pastor and you're asking a question, it's really me and maybe my insecurities coming out a little bit. But just trying to be transparent with you. Well, Pastor, that kind of sounds like you've made up your mind, or maybe that the elders have made up their mind and we're in this process. I want you to know, as God knows my heart, if God says no to this person, you don't need to be shaken one little bit. One reason is because the way God has directed us to be in leadership here at the church. You have a plurality of leaders. If Buzz was gone tomorrow, this church would not skip a beat. I know about our emotions and things like that, and certainly, we love you, you love us, some of you anyway, and <laughs> ba-doom-boom, right, and, um, and, and I understand about that, but because of the biblical structure that God has directed in the life of this church, this church will not be shaken, and God is seated on his throne, and he's prescribed the biblical pattern, and we've done our best to adhere to that biblical pattern, and so we're very grateful for that, but what I was saying was simply this, and that is, if God says no to this couple, I am not jumping ship. I'll be right here to do anything and everything that God directs us to do, but with that said, I'm very hopeful, and so I'm looking forward to it and praying in that direction, um, We've not had a candidate who checks all the blocks like this one does. And so I'm, I'm very thrilled about that. Now, Sandy and I are, even as we speak, sort of, kind of, living in Clewiston. And that's about an hour and a half away. We, I drive over, been driving over. And um, as I said earlier, now we're going to drive to St. Louis. Yay! Yeah, you obviously haven't done it before. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. We're in a transition and we know that. One of the reasons I like coming to this place in the Bible because this is one of the major transitions that we see in the Word of God. When we reach Deuteronomy chapter 29, 30, 31, 32, we can't possibly do all of those uh, chapters and the message that's there uh, today, but I want us to take a look at a few things in the life of this. And uh, what I like to do is give you a little bit of a table of contents and what we're going to do so you kind of can track me and the things. And what's happening here is that that Moses and the children of Israel, all right, we've left them, the last time we were together, we left them at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God giving them the law and what else? Now, when anybody asks you that and they say to you, you know, God gave the children of Israel at least two major things at the foot of Mount Sinai, you're never, ever going to forget the second thing again. Everybody knows the first thing. What did he give them at Sinai? Number one, Ten Commandments, the law, right. And then, and I've done this so many times in my life as a teacher and a preacher, and I said, and God gave them the second thing. What was it? Uh... But now you know, you know that it was the blueprints for the tabernacle in the wilderness. This place where God said, I will dwell with you. Moses said, I don't want to go up to the promised land unless you come with us. And God said, build me this and I will live right in the center. And they camped all around the sanctuary, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so they broke camp. That is, the cloud by day rose up. And God said, every time it rises up, I want you to break camp and follow it. When it settles down, I want you to camp right there. And on they did. And they went up to Kadesh Barnea. They spied out the land. To the twelve tribes. And the Bible says that two of the twelve came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, let's believe God. Let's by faith enter into the promised land. But the ten came back and said, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. These people are giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they believed the ten. They believed the bad reports, and because of their disobedience, God charged them to wander in the wilderness 40 years. Why 40 years? Because he said, this generation will not enter the promised land. And only the next generation would enter the promised land. So they wandered around in that wilderness until they finally camped on the east side. Now you've got to think about a map in your head. But they camped on the east side of the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea. And God said to Moses, Moses, once again, I want you to come up on this mountain. Now not Mount Sinai at that point, but now Mount Nebo. Come up on Mount Nebo. Now, I really, I really enjoyed the geography of it all. It gives my imagination going back to Israel here in two or three weeks and see it once again. But if you were to go up today on Mount Nebo, you would be able to stand, say so to speak, on, on Mount Nebo, looking in this direction. And right out in front of you, everything goes straight down. goes straight down to the Jordan River and to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea. But then the land just as quickly goes back up on the other side and you can see off in a ridge, just faintly, Jerusalem. So you can stand on Mount Nebo and you can look out across the Dead Sea and the the mountains of the Judean wilderness and on up the Jordan Valley. You can see it all from Mount Nebo. And God took Moses up there and he said, Moses, I want you to look at it but you're not going in. Moses, early in the life of the children of Israel, had disobeyed God and said, Moses, you will not go in. I will lead these people in. Joshua will be my leader for these people, but you will not go in. And that's where Moses is right now in Deuteronomy chapter 29. And what does Moses do? What what does Moses do at this point? The first thing that Moses does is Moses renews the covenant. Moses starts talking about what God has promised, what God has told them that they are going to do, and what he has done in the past. If I were to go back to Old chapter 27, then chapter 28. Here in chapter 28, interesting blocks of conversation or or scripture that that God is giving Moses at this point. I, I can't go through it. Uh, 1, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord. So I'm just going to stop there. So what he's going to do right there from verse 1 all the way through verse 14. Numbers are important at this point. Verse 1 through verse 14, he's going to say, if you're faithful, this is how God's going to bless you. And then look what he does. Verse 15. And my Bible goes through verse 17. And then the next paragraph begins in verse 20. And then the next paragraph begins in verse 25. And on through that paragraph until the next paragraph begins in verse 36. And then on down that until the next paragraph begins in verse 45. And then after that, the next paragraph begins in verse 52. And then in my Bible, the editors say the next paragraph begins in verse 58. And then the next one begins in 64. And all of that, all of that is what's going to happen to you If you disobey, 14 verses of how God's gonna bless you, and then verse after verse after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. I I could pick any place, watch this, just boom, just pick that one, okay? Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, that's if you disobey whom the Lord will send against you. I'm on verse 48, for no reason at all, in hunger and thirst and nakedness, lacking everything. Oh, God said you'll never lack anything. If you disobey, you will lack everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. And I just picked that just by doing that. And were I to take the time, in fact, I actually thought about doing that by way of introduction. Reading every one of those verses on and on and on and on and on and on and on of the terrible things that will happen to you, Israel, if you disobey my voice. I mean, by the time you're finished, it's like, oh, and I think that's the point. And so, in chapter 29, Moses says, that God is renewing the covenant. But if God continually renews the covenant, then we should too. But why? Why should we think about the covenant over and over and over again that he's made? Why should we think? The first reason I would suggest to you, and I go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy for this uh, passages we we've, we've talked about a little bit before, but the first reason I would suggest to you that we need to, be remi- we need to remind us of the covenant with God is because we need to make an accurate assessment. Now, what I mean by an accurate assessment, well, of course God loves me. God loves everybody. That's the world in which we live. God is love. You hear it every day. You read it. You listen to sermons on the radio and the computer and everything. And, and, and the gospel is out there that God is love. And certainly, I don't want to contradict that. But our contemporary culture has redefined the word love to mean that God will accept you no matter what. You've heard that. You've heard it preached. And folks, I'm here to tell you, that's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. It doesn't mean no matter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll just hesitate. You're you're not bad enough. Come on now. You're not bad enough not to be accepted. Did you get that? Say it again. You're not bad enough to not be accepted. Don't think that you're so bad God can't accept you. That's not true. That's not what I'm saying. But you are loved so much more than you could possibly comprehend that God will accept you. And that's what he said to Israel He said to Israel, I've read it to you before, like in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, this is what he said. He said, oh, you think, Israel, that God has chosen you because you're such a mighty nation, uh, that, that you're larger than all the other peoples of the world. And God in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 said, wrong. I haven't chosen you because you're so mighty and strong, stronger than all the other nations, but God has chosen you. Because he has placed his love on you. The reason God has chosen you, Israel, is because he loved you. And God faithfully keeps his oath. And so God promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And actually, if you read chapter 7 closely enough, you're going to find out that the chief reason that God has chosen Israel is not because they're so mighty. It's because God is God. Because that's actually what the text says. God is God. Now what I believe Moses and the Holy Spirit is conveying right there is when a name means something that God is God, that God is saying my character is such that my character and my glory are on the line for me to do what I said I would do. And therefore, God is actually glorifying himself first and foremost by keeping his promise to Israel. Not anything that's in Israel. Listen, folks, if you're saved today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the first chief reason that you are a Christian is because it brings glory to God to make you such. I like what it says over there in chapter 9, somewhere around verse 4 here. Do not, he says to him. He says to Israel, I'm still on this. Why why do we need to renew our covenant? And the first thing I'm saying is we need to make an accurate assessment. And my first accurate assessment of thinking about the covenant is for us not to get too puffed up. Do not say in your heart, chapter 9, verse 4, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that means the nations. So Joshua's going to lead them in. God's going to move these evil people out of the way. That's the reference here to verse 4. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you, not because of your righteousness. Or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land? But because the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And once again, God's saying, not because of who you are. God's saying, Buzz... (laughs) as as such a great treasure as you think that you are to the world. That's not why I brought you into my family. I'm not going to do justice to this portion, but I love that. I love, along with John the Baptist, that I go down and he goes up. Right? Right? I must decrease, but he must increase. Now, I know that sounds kind of pietistic and, oh, well, you're pointing at yourself. But I tell you right now, and I wish I could convey it better than I can, I like going down. I don't mean, I know the Bible says for us to humble ourselves and he'll exalt us and to lift us. That's not what I'm saying at this point. I like going down. Because the more I go down, the more he goes up. And I like him being as up as far as my mind can comprehend I like God being big God, as big as I can possibly comprehend in my mind. And the truth is, we all know, I can't possibly comprehend, co- comprehend how big he is. I can't go big enough. But I like God being big and large and in charge so I want to make a proper assessment and I want to remember the covenant that God has given and that's just the first minor point I want to make an accurate assessment but I also want to remember now I'm just going to do something really quickly I'm going over to Deuteronomy 31 Deuteronomy 31 and in Deuteronomy 31, there's an interesting thing that happens. And this is one of the challenging things in reading these chapters. So breathe with me here a second. Look up at me. Let me be the teacher for just a second here. In these, Moses does not unfold history through Deuteronomy the way you and I would write a history that is, of, of succinct and sequential things happening one right after another and he'll bob and weave back and forth with the points that God is giving him. This is one of those, it's not really parenthetical, but at one point, he's saying, Moses, you tell the people. This is what's going to happen to them blessing. This is what's going to happen cursing. This is what I'm saying about renewing my covenant with them today. Now, I'm going to say something to you, Moses. It's going to be a hard word for you. But the second reason God renews it and the second reason we should know it is that we need to remember. Now, there's a couple of different points here. I'm only going to give you one of them as far as remembering. And this is the main point that I want to give you today. Sometimes God says things in advance so that when it happens, you'll remember that He said it then. As opposed to... um, just, I want you to remember. I want you to remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden. I, I want you to remember um, Cain and Abel. I want you to remember uh, the, the message that I gave or the covenant that I made with Abraham. I want you to remember that. That's remembering what happened in the past. Sometimes God says, I'm going to tell you something in the future so that when it happens in the future, you'll remember that I already told you that. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. I'm, I'm at chapter 31. Uh, I'm going to pick it up, say, verse 14, chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the day's approach when you must die. That's a nice thing to know in advance. I'm not really sure you're going to have to remind Moses of that later on. Okay, you didn't get that, so... You're about to die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of the meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. Now here it is. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devout. I could go back to chapter 28 and I could read that long, long, long list of terrible things that would happen to Israel if they disobey and that, that's what I'm going to do in fact dies watch this the fact that Moses dies and doesn't enter the land actually brings the glory to God by confirming the covenant say it again It brings glory to God that Moses dies and doesn't go in by confirming the covenant. If you do this, if you don't listen to my voice, if you don't follow me, you will not enter the land. And Moses didn't, and he's not going in. And if Moses is not going in, how much more any of us And so God tells him something in advance. Now, if you want to cite something, just write down, if you're a note taker, write down Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. Because what Ezekiel in chapter 33 does is he comes back and quotes this. Now, it's a different time, it's a different historical context. But Ezekiel goes back, picks up once again the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And applies it to his time and does the very same thing that's happening here. That is, he says, if you would keep my covenant, this will happen to you. But if you don't, this will happen to you. And indeed, in Ezekiel's day, another judgment fell on them. And it happened again. You see, God tells us some things in advance so that when we see it happened, he's confirming his covenant. He's bringing glory to himself. He's keeping his word. Well, then, according to this particular passage of Scripture, number two, they're not going to obey. They're simply just not going to obey God's voice. Is God's call to repentance then. If they're not going to obey, obey my voice, turn from your evil ways, and follow me, and listen to me, and have faith in me. But if God knows that they're not going to do it, is it really a genuine, is it a sincere call to repentance? In other words, is it just a smokescreen? Is it God playing word games? Is God's call to repentance genuine if he knows that they won't obey? Is it a genuine call to repentance if God knows they won't obey? And the answer to that is yes. It is still a genuine call to repentance. Chapter 30. I go back a little bit in chapter 30. And and I look here in verse 11 and following. For this commandment that I command to you. So, okay, he's making the commandment. He's saying, well, why won't they obey? Why won't I obey? Why won't you obey? I know why they won't obey and we won't obey. I know why. It's too hard. Come on, isn't it hard? Isn't the Christian life terribly difficult? Nobody's shaking their head either way. I don't know what the right answer to this one is. I don't know. For this commandment that I command to you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into the heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near. It is in your mouth, and it is in your heart, so that you can do it. You can do it. You know, I think I've heard, I think I've I think I've heard that verse someplace before. I I I I think you know I think that's in Romans. Isn't that in Romans? Acts, Romans, Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 10. Oh yeah. Let's see, what's Paul talking about in Romans? Whoa! Romans 10, 5. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've heard that before. You've heard that before. But you've never put it with Deuteronomy. Okay, some of you have. But most of you haven't. And there's Israel saying, Oh, man. God, you know how hard this is. I mean... This word and keeping thing it's just way too hard for us. Listen, if you took what Moses is writing in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and applied it to Romans chapter 10, you'd get Romans chapter 10. Because you don't get it yet. You've read it before, up to heaven, down to the abyss. I don't know what's going on there. You know, if you believe in your heart and confess, you know what Paul is saying? what paul's saying paul is using deuteronomy in context to say it's not hard people we would say this is not rocket science if you would believe in your heart confess with your mouth the lord jesus christ thou will be saved the gospel don't make it complicated why don't make it complicated Well, my point today is don't make it complicated because that's exactly what God is trying to say to you. It's not complicated. It's not too difficult. It's not too hard, Israel. You think it's too hard, but it's not. But the second thing, and it's really important, so I've got to race back to Deuteronomy to chapter 29 because I need this and then maybe I'll Maybe I'll stop. Maybe I won't. Why? But why is repentance, the call for repentance still genuine? Because it's not too hard to keep. But why is it important to call them back to the covenant? Why is it important to call them back to this covenant? Watch me now. Because God said, Oh, you're not going to like this. Listen. Why is it important to call them back to the covenant? And why is it a genuine call of repentance? Because God knows they can't do it. That's not what I thought you were going to say, Pastor. Why is it important to call them back to the covenant even when God knows they can't do it? Look what it says in chapter 29. I'll pick it up at verse 2. And Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see, or ears to hear. The reason that God renews His covenant, that God says this is a genuine call to repentance, while knowing, come on now, here's the logic, while knowing they can't do it, is because He is going to demonstrate that without me, the Lord God, you can't do it. He is going to demonstrate to them, you don't have a heart, and the only place you can get the right heart is from me. That's the new covenant. That's Ezekiel's new covenant. That's Jeremiah's new covenant, that I will give you a heart. I'll trade that heart of stone that you have for a heart of flesh. That's what the Bible means in John chapter 3, when when Talking, the Lord Jesus talking to Nicodemus says you must be born again you must be regenerated you must have a new heart and you can't birth yourself I like James Hamilton at this point James Hamilton, prophet Southern Seminary has written a book called God's Glory in Salvation Through Judgment now that may bristle you a little bit God's Salvation Through Judgment And this is what he says, In order to obey, one must have a circumcised heart. Circumcision of the heart, however, is not something one does to oneself. One must be given what one needs by Yahweh himself. And Moses declares to Israel that Yahweh has not given them the kind of heart they need. Now listen, that sounds terrible. I would think that would sound terribly frustrating do this, do this do repent, turn do this, do this and yet all the while knowing I don't have a heart that can do this do this, do this all the while knowing I don't have a heart in order to I mean what would you do? what would you do? Do this. I mean, after you poke me enough times, I'm about to go... God, if you don't do it, it won't get done. Boom. You see? You're being painted. Hey, man, you're being painted into a corner. Genesis 6-5 has made it very clear. The heart... The heart is prone toward wickedness continually only. Jeremiah said it. The heart is despicably wicked above all things. Who can understand it? That's the direction that we will go. But God, you say, do this. You tell me go this way and I can't go that way. God says, you're getting closer, buds. And then finally one day I say, I just can't do it, God. If you don't do it, If you don't do it in me, it won't get done. God says, praise God, that hard-headed knot finally got there. Finally, praise God, got there. That's what I've been trying to tell you, Buzz. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for a guy like me? Is there any hope for a person like you? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's hope. Here's... Oh, wait a minute. Buzz, you've been talking about Israel all morning. Uh, they're the hardhead. We're New We're New Covenant. We're the church. We're in the New Testament, aren't we? Uh, that's Israel. You already told us. Hey, that's their law. That's not our law. We're not obligated to keep that. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Romans 10. Moses wrote this down. Di- Romans 11. Ah, and this is what God says. This is what he says to the church. This is what he says to the Gentiles. This is what he says to the non-Israelite, the non-Jewish person. He said, uh, you know, you non-Jewish person, you Gentile, you're exactly right. God did break them off. God did know that they were an olive tree that would not obey him. He said it right there, we just read it. Moses, you're going to die, and they're going to go after other gods, and I'm going to pour it on them. And he did. And in Paul's language in Romans 11, that's like a tree and a branch that gets broken off. And and if we took time to read Moses' song in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to write a song, a poetry, and he's going to say, you know one reason that God did that is to make the nations around Israel Jealous, or actually said that wrong, to take the nations around Israel and make Israel jealous. God is going to, this is terrible things are going to happen to Israel, just like God said. And the nations around them are going to look at that and say, Wow, you know why that bad stuff is happening to them? Because they disobeyed the Lord their God. The nations around Israel are going to figure it out. They didn't obey their God and that's why it happened. And Paul in Romans 11 says, and God took the nations to make Israel jealous. Because what God did is he took you. Now if you're of a Jewish descent, pause for just a minute. But the rest of our Gentiles, when God took that tree and broke it off, he took another branch, a wild olive branch from someplace else and he stuck it in that tree and he grafted us in and he did that so that the tree would be jealous (gasps) you gave the covenant to someone else besides a Jew that that they might see that and be won back and then he looked at that grafted in branch he looked at that grafted in branch and he said now listen branch and that's you he said don't you become arrogant you think you're better than they are you think you're a greater nation? Do you think you're stronger? Do you think you're more faithful? Is there something about you that would commend you to the Lord? In other words, the same sin that they did? He said, don't you do that. Don't you become arrogant. Because if I grafted you in, I'm able to graft them back in. The fact of the matter is, is, I'm able to break you off. In other words, Paul, in Romans 11 is saying the same thing that the Holy Spirit said through Moses in Deuteronomy. And so I would ask you, is there any hope? Well, what was the answer back there? You see, people all the time say, well, they live by the law. left my watch back up there. They live by the law. And and we're we're, we're under grace, not under the law. And God is actually saying, they were under grace They were under grace, too. The only way they were going to be saved is by faith, too. It doesn't change in the New Testament. You and I are in the same place. And if you think you're going to clean it up and get right and do all these things and clean up the act, and that way God's going to say, okay, you're good enough, you're going to miss it the same way they did. Well, then where's the hope? Ah, where's the hope? And I will put my Spirit in you, and I will give you that new heart. I will circumcise your heart so that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's going to be all of God. Now, the believer shows it. The believer shows the believer shows that God has given them a new heart when they come to this table. Paul says, Don't you come to this table, unworthy. Don't you be coming and saying, Ah, Grace, you know, boom, just can come. You know, I'm, I know I'm at odds with that brother or sister, you know. I know I was a place where I shouldn't have been, done something to do. I'm out of fellowship with God. Oh. But by grace I could just go on my merry way and participate in the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Because a person who's given a new heart hears that Spirit speaking, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you have, because of that, been given through the power of the Holy Spirit ability to obey and go and speak to that person. Stop that speak to the Lord and say, I confess this, whatever it may be. You see. But maybe what? Do I need to write a chapter after uh, Romans 11? I know there's a Romans 12. Do I need to insert Deuteronomy 29 right after Romans 11? But you will not and you will go whoring after other gods? Is that that the biography of my life god knows me and you is there hope (laughs) as long as jesus is on his throne there is hope because it is his salvation he gives it and i submit by grace lord i pray for us for me we would see in the life of Moses credible transition in the life of your people that they were at a fork in the road and by your spirit each person in this room is at that same fork the fact is we're at that same fork every day every minute of every day how can we possibly do it Lord only by your spirit not by might nor by power but by your spirit declares the Lord of hosts so I pray that we would yield more and more and more just yield surrender and see you Holy Spirit work powerfully in the life of your church because we so desperately need it it's very evident indeed we are a people who are a product of disobedience in years, in decades, yea, even in centuries. We pray that you would call us back to yourself. Pray you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to call the men forward who are going to help with the Lord's Supper today, please. As they're coming, allow me to give you just a word of instruction. Uh, They're going to come and take these elements and one stand in front of each of our major sections of our auditorium. I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your row to the left, receive the elements, and then return to your seat so that we can take them together. I'll be standing here in the center with some gluten-free